This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Total Saints Podcast. We're back again after yet another international break for Saints. While I was passing the break by washing the car, doing a bit of DIY and generally distancing myself from any talk or action of Christmas shopping, Steve has been watching Dejan Lovren get relegated and fresh from the last trip to Hawaii, the man who loves cravats, gold Rolexes and scaring off trick-or-treaters, Adam Leach has been out in Mexico. So you're certainly racking up the uh, global air miles. What have you been doing this time? Iron Man again. I remember yeah. I was racing this time. I wasn't supporting. So, uh, yeah, so I was out there to race. My second big race of the year. So that was all going swimmingly well until I decided that I collapsed 20 miles into the run, yeah. um, which was a bit a bit of a blow. Right. I did manage to finish in the end, but not before a rather pathetic hour spent laying on a grass verge with ambulance people taking oh, my no. blood pressure and uh, so on and so forth. So that was the first for me. That was an adventure. So yeah. uh, not not desperately keen to repeat that performance again. But, mm. um, you know, the highs and lows of sport. Yeah. What what caused it then? Sort of humidity or lack of glucose? I don't know. I don't know much about Ironman, but I assume Obviously. a few days. <laughs> 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 no, to be fair, you probably aren't far off. Who knows? You never really know. It's a no. long day. But um, it was just overheating basically yeah. the bike was really really windy so it was a massive headwind uh, unsheltered headwind you had to go into three times going around uh cozumel the island it was on mm-hmm. um the sun was blaring down and i i was just so hot coming off the bike into uh into transition for the run and uh you know every kilometer they have aid stations i was putting ice down my top down my shorts in my hat 
carrying ice, just doing everything I could possibly think of to try and bring my temperature down. And unfortunately, I'd gone pop already, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I was in an absolute world of struggle uh, uh, at two miles into the run. And I still had another 24 to go. And I made it to 20 before it all sort of totally fell apart in a way I've not known before. But in the end, I managed to, I did manage to get across the finish line, although in a horrifically unimpressive time. But amazing as you did it. Congratulations. And, and more importantly, you're back with us. So that's uh, obviously what matters most. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it would have been really great had, had we launched Patreon and got some patrons, and then I'd never appeared on the podcast again. <laughs> Before anybody paid any money, I went and conked it in Mexico. Yeah. Well, I think probably Steve and I could have made a, a fair bit out of it, because it's not all about you. So uh, there we go. There we go. Anyway, good, good to have what you about back. my 90% cut? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving on, Steve. The words Dejan Lovren and relegation, just a beautiful set of words, isn't it, for any football fan, particularly us of uh, Support Saints. Oh, it's glorious. Absolutely glorious. Um, particularly given that just bizarre Instagram post that he, he put out after they um, after they fluked their way to a last minute win against Spain. Yeah. Um, a few days previous saying that obviously he'd given one to Sergio Ramos and that now he was going to uh, walk into Wembley and, and stroll stroll out as uh, as winners there as well. And, and yeah, I mean that was that was particularly glorious, especially the fact that the equaliser obviously came courtesy of the inside of his shin after the keeper had made the save. Mm. Teed it up nicely for um, Jesse Lingard to uh, do a Dave Nugent as it's uh, as it's known in the trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean that was that was particularly satisfying. It was strange atmosphere at Wembley as it as it usually is for England games but the last 15 to 20 minutes or so when all of a sudden everything came down to that last 20 minutes mm. um the atmosphere was was excellent it's like well why can't we do this normally mm, yeah um yeah. But it kind of, kind of just goes to show that the Nations League has has kind of captured a little bit of imagination people are actually interested in how the competition works and I think it gives it gives nations at, at all levels something to play for and it's um it's yeah it's been been good been a good success so far i think yeah they i mean they've not stopped as you well know as everyone will know i live up in scotland i mean they've not stopped up there steve they're still i mean i can still hear them beeping their horns out there after their promotion <laughs> <laughs> i think they're into the league with what kosovo and macedonia now or something aren't they? they've got to that stage i think so uh, i don't think any of the locals can hear me but uh, yeah they were particularly excited about winning more than one football match in a while which is good just briefly then i wasn't going to talk much about it but the the wayne rooney episode seemed to go fairly well as well in terms of the FA trying to get a few more bums on seats yeah I mean from from what I'd heard they they'd only sold about 40,000 tickets at the time at which they then decided oh this is going to be the Wayne Rooney Foundation game yeah um and then the final attendance ended up being around 69 70,000 yep. so um it obviously had the desired effect yeah um I was just a little bit cynical about the way that announcement came about mm. um mm. in terms of oh ticket sales aren't very good let's uh Let's do this. Yep. But I mean, ultimately, it got got bums on seats, and I mean, to be fair, once again, England played quite well. I thought, yep. um, which is getting quite disconcerting. We're becoming quite consistent with this. <laughs> it's wearing, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. It's just I, I think you know, to be honest, Dad, I don't know about you. I, I feel like we should probably talk about anything but Saints for the next hour. But uh, just finally, then, Steve, I was going to mention the cricket as well because last time Adam and I spoke for episode fifty, you were over in uh, Sri Lanka as we record England are on the brink of a very rare whitewash of uh, Sri Lanka so how was the cricket as well then yeah that was great um yeah great great to have a great to have a week away just to just to chill really mm. nice and warm um got a little bit sunburnt on the first day because I hadn't quite appreciated that even though it was fairly heavy cloud cover 
Yeah. Um, the heat could still burn you as opposed to just the sun's rays. After I realised the error of my ways and bought a hat, um, everything was fine. Well, it's good to have the uh, the three of us back together. Hopefully, uh, everyone will uh, agree. Um, it's the hectic run up to Christmas and the new year now for for Saints. Um, on this episode, we'll look back at this weekend's three two defeat against Fulham. We'll preview the rearranged Carabao Cup fixture against Leicester City and Adam's long awaited chance to catch up with one of his idols, Claude Puel, before the Premier League St Mary's game against Manchester United next Saturday. Speaking of Manchester United, this week's total recall sees myself and Steve joined by Will and Leon from Saints Archive to recall the April 1996 win for Dave and Saints team against a very grey United side. Before we start the pod though, a couple of uh, important items I just wanted to draw attention to. It was of course Saints' 133 year birthday this past Wednesday. It's been mainly ups and downs during that period but a very happy birthday to our beloved and I still mean that I promise football club from all at TSP. Um, secondly as you well know we launched our Patreon account in the last podcast and www.patreon.com slash totalsaints pod and we wanted to say a big thank you to our first batch of TSP patrons who signed up to support us Mike Binks, Simon Hall, Daniel Crouch Ben Lane, AJ Reardon and Alexander Hart and I have to just mention on AJ Adam that he said the only reason he became a patron was because he wants to make sure that before the end of the season you admit we have one must win game Oh, he's going to have to d- donate a lot more money then. <laughs> I, ca- I can be bribed. That's okay, what I'm saying enough. is I can be bribed, but my, my, I'm setting the bar high. Good, fair enough. But, but we appreciate the support nonetheless. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, as Adam says, we're very grateful and uh, you know, hopefully uh, a few more people may decide to support the uh, the pod as well. Anyway, let's get cracking with the pod. It's uh, in association with saintsworld.co.uk and saintsarchive.com and we're sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. This is TSP episode 51. HappyHotTubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit HappyHotTubs.co.uk HappyHotTubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. Saints travelled up to Craven Cottage this weekend. As predicted by one of our panel, and it wasn't Adam or Steve, Saints got beaten 3-2 by Fulham. It probably wasn't a must-win game, Adam. Certainly in some eyes, I'm looking at you. But uh, I think for many of us, it was uh, deemed a, a must-not-lose. Yeah, I guess that's probably fair. In in the context of, of the season um, as a whole, and given the fixtures that they, they've had uh, and they haven't taken advantage of and the fixtures that they've got coming up, which look incredibly difficult, uh, it is very hard now they've slipped into the bottom three over the weekend as well. Um, obviously, Fulham and Huddersfield have got wins, and obviously Huddersfield have picked up a small amount of form as well. Yeah, and it's it's looking pretty bad when you consider the next couple of games. I mean, they could, you, you know, if something doesn't surprising doesn't happen, then then there's every chance that they'll be bottom pretty mm. soon. Mm. Um, it'll be it'd be a surprise if they weren't really, given everything that's happened now. And that is a pretty grim situation, isn't it? Um, to be in any stage of the season, let alone we're not like one or two games in now, we'll be sort of uh, well into the season. It's a difficult situation now, I think, the Saints face. I know, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Mark Hughes. The, the club just feels to me like it's got so many problems now mm. um, from top to bottom. It's, I'm almost finding it hard to even know where where they need to address their energies first um but but the the theme of fulham really 
was the same. I mean, I, I obviously wasn't uh, there in person, but I have what I did watch the entire match. Um, and again, I thought, you know, a, a relatively creditable performance in many areas, um, blighted by errors at both ends of the pitch, which we're so we've just becoming so accustomed to. You can't, mm. I think you said it, you can't leave yourself needing to score four goals away from home against the bottom club to get a result. Um, and yet that's the position that, that Saints have put themselves in again through some more terrible errors, some terrible collective errors, and then one or two terrible individual errors. Um, and they're just, they're just so costly because the, the margins are so fine in the Premier League when, uh, when it's, you know, non top six teams playing each other. Um, and it's not, uh, bad luck. It's not refereeing. It's just, this is just Saints. This is just where they are, unfortunately. Um, and, and the big question is what, if anything, can be done to address it? I have to say, we've been so bad this season. We've probably done quite well to uh, not be in the bottom three before the 25th of November. But uh, It says an awful lot about the league. <laughs> it does. At the end of the day, yeah. Saints, Saints have won one game. I know. Out I know. Of We're not even bottom, yeah. And, exactly. and they're not bottom. What does mm. that tell you about this league? I, I mean, know. it's a pretty appalling statistic. Any other season, you, you know, somebody just said that to you. Oh, the, the team have only won one out of 13. You think, well, they're the ones that are cut adrift. They're, they're, they're down. And then it's just, well, who are the other two? And you're like, well, hang on a minute. They've, they've only just got in the bottom three. I know. It's, uh, it's incredible, really. Absolutely incredible. It is. And, uh, Steve, you were, you were sat there, albeit with the, uh, prawn sandwich brigade this time around. But what do you make of it all? Just in general summary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as as Adam said, there was a lot to actually quite like about the performance on Saturday. But every week is Groundhog Day, isn't it? Yes. And it's and it is the same people making the same mistakes. And ultimately, that comes down to the manager who continues to keep picking the same people who are making those same mistakes. Yep. We're basically going into games um, at the moment, effectively starting with nine players, mm. because you've got two players out there who are either contributing particularly negatively, i.e. Wesley Hoop, making screw-ups left, right and centre defensively that are costing us goals every week, or you've got Charlie Austin, who is just a thing in a shirt. (laughs) There's there's just there's just nothing going on there. Um, Before we started today, I um, went and got some uh, statistics off yesterday's game from um, whoscored.com, who basically... I'm liking this commitment, Steve. Excellent. Crack on. Who who basically use Optostats from from the game and uh, put together summaries and things like that. Mm. So um, Charlie Austin's statistics from, uh, from yesterday's game at Fulham. 68 minutes played, no shots. A pass completion rate of 50%, mm-hmm. which was um, five from 10 attempted. Uh, he won one aerial duel from five attempted. Uh, he didn't make a tackle. He didn't dribble the ball. And in, as I say, in 68 minutes, he touched the ball 16 times. Mm. 16 yeah. in more than an hour for a team that had, I think, around 58, 59% possession mm. and spent the bulk of the game in Fulham's half. That is absolutely pathetic. Is it, I mean, why, why do you think that is? I mean, we, we've spoken about him before, and I, you know, I agree with you. I mean, he doesn't seem to be anywhere near the levels he's been over the last few years for any club. But is it because we're not getting the ball to him, or is it because he is simply just not moving, not going into channels because he hasn't got the ability to do that, and therefore Saints players are unable to find him? Well, there's a little from A, little from B, I think. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the player has to has to take responsibility. He mm-hmm. doesn't look remotely fit. He looks like he's blowing out of his arse after five minutes every game. 
any striker who who has played at any sort of level knows that you can, if you're if you're static, then you're easy to mark, and therefore the ball's never going to come to you, regardless of whether your teammates are trying or not, mm. because someone on the opposition is just going to pick it off. Um, and he just doesn't move for the ball. He doesn't show doesn't show for. Uh, passes to feet he doesn't then uh, spin in behind defenders into into the spaces that that are left and I mean let's let's make no bones about it Fulham are crap at the back yeah they are so bad defensively I mean look at the space that Armstrong had for the first goal where he's able to chest the ball down shift it to the side he's still got a five yard radius around him to hit that shot yeah um, to put us one nil up and Austin is thing is that he's a penalty box penalty box striker well yeah. fine Okay, do something in the penalty box. Yeah, yeah. He's done nothing. He's he's not not moved for the ball. We've got the ball out wide a lot. Matt Target and Cedric were both in the game a lot. Uh, Nathan Redmond was in the game a lot. Gabbiadini did did quite well in the first half, I thought, um, on the right hand side. Didn't really get involved a lot after the break, but first half he he was he was involved. So we had the ball in areas to put the ball in in the box for a penalty box striker to do to do what he supposedly does best. Mm. And those statistics, they they tell they tell you everything. He's he's just an absolute waste of space at the moment. Yeah, I had I had here on my notes. I promise you, I'm not just saying this. I had Charlie Austin, and then I put utter s h i t again. Did he even touch it? So thanks for answering that for me, Steve. So uh, there we go. I was going to start with the positives, but I feel like we're already into the negatives, Adam. So let's crack <laughs> on with it. Schoolboy defending. Um, we spoke last time out about Cedric Suarez. I know Steve. Uh, didn't mention in them, but the first two goals again didn't stop the cross coming in for either of them, and then the uh, even the third goal. I know it was Hoyt's uh, mistake, but Mitrovic was uh, you know given space by Suarez to finish. Um, as Steve said, there we're not learning. It is Groundhog Day, and I know it's it, it feels like a bit of a joke, but I mean, Christ, what are we doing about it on the training ground to try and deal with it? Because it it feels like Groundhog Day because it is Groundhog Day. Yeah, I can't really answer the question other than to say that you know it's it, it's obvious, isn't it? It's the same things again and again and again. So it feels anyway. I mean, there are two different difficult things here because we we can only assume um, because none of us really know that they are spending a lot of time working on this. Um, so let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they do know that there are there are problems here and that they are working on them. Um, but then you go back to this point of um, there's training and then there's execution and execution under pressure. And uh, we go back to this point that how much of this is physical problem or ability issue and how much of this is in the mind. Um, I mean, Cedric, my colleague, uh, Dan, interviewed uh, Cedric after the game and he interestingly kind of said, um, I'm going to paraphrase it because it wasn't his exact words, but there was kind of almost a feeling, I think, of inevitability that, that Fulham would kind of get back into it after Saints had taken the lead. When you're even if it's a subconscious thing, you're thinking that. I mean, that just goes to show where the confidence levels are at and the belief yeah. levels are at. And it's a very, very it's so ingrained now because it's been such a long time. And I come back to this point again that I don't foresee an easy way to turn this around. The way you turn this around is that you have to have that painful period where you change out these players, basically. But the thing um, is, Adam, I mean, the thing is, in, in, in the echo last week, so I'm 21st of November, and I'm, I'm not sure it was, I think you would have been away, obviously, but Nathan Redmond said that scoring had been the focus of training during the international break. Um, again, as you said at the start, there was problems at both ends of the pitch, we realised that, but you ask any football manager, and I'm not a football manager, none of us are, but 
how many times did they say, you know, you, you pick up points, you pick up wins by making yourself solid at the back, by trying to keep clean sheets and then building from there. But we don't seem organised, we don't seem motivated. I mean, it is, it is scoreboard defending. The same Wesley Hoyt's played every single game this season, and yet he's consistently made mis- making mistakes. You could count on one hand the amount of good games he's had. You need your toes to start counting the bad ones. So, I mean, we, we just don't seem to be doing anything about it. I think that's the frustration for many fans. It is the same mistakes from the same players every single week. Well, I hear what you're saying, but then a few weeks ago we were stolen the virtues two back-to-back clean sheets. Yeah, um, against the team that didn't have a shot, and then admittedly he played well down at Bournemouth. But every footballer's going to have a a rare good game at some point, aren't they? Well, I, I, okay, you're, you're now talking specifically about one player. You, the question you asked initially was about the defence in general, and I was you could chuck Cedric Charles in there. He's, I don't think he's much cop either. Well, I, yeah, okay, well, I mean, but but then. We we go okay with the centre half. You can turn around and say okay, Hughes is Hughes is stuck by Hoot, and that's uh, a manager's decision, and they live and die by those decisions, and that's as simple as that. With Cedric, um, well, there's no he no is, other his options. squad contains no other option to play anybody else at right back. You, you and, could try Jack Stevens out there. You could try Jan Bednarik out there. I know they are more centre backs than right backs. Jack Stevens played there before. Well, I mean, you, yeah, I, I'm not saying you, you couldn't do that, but Cedric is your only recognised right back and, and he's an yep. international right back. I, I think if I was shoes, I don't think I would change that. OK, Wesley, who I get that there's a debate there because there are obviously other competent centre back options at the football club. Mm. And therefore, the manager has to take the flack as well if he sticks with a player that consistently makes errors and it costs them. However, with the Cedric situation, I think it's a little bit different because it's not as if he's ignoring a Bednarek type, you know, alternative here or Stevens or whoever you may prefer. There's just nobody else there. And that, again, we come back to that. Well, that's the fault of the football club that haven't provided the manager with that option. Yeah, very much so. And uh, just again, finish on the negatives then, Steve, before we talk about a couple of positives. It's, again, it's it's more points thrown away from a, a winning position when you think that Saints were were 1-0 up and um, the record over the last 12-18 months and as Adam said that's really where the mindset issues are yeah definitely it's now becoming a sort of it's going to be a millstone around the players necks they'll be constantly thinking about it as as you alluded to with those um, with those quotes from Cedric last week Mm. the the weirdest thing on at Fulham was that at no stage in that game did we look in any kind of trouble Mm. and yet all of a sudden they go and pop the ball in the back of the net and it's like well how the hell did that just happen? Mm. We can debate till the cows come home as to the sort of merits of, in, of individual players. But there's something there within the entire sort of psyche of the team. There's just something wrong within that dressing room. Um, I mean, there was there's one one thing that kind of kind of bore it out a little bit at, at full time was that I think there are only about four or five players that could even be bothered to go over to the over to the away end to applaud them. Hughes couldn't be bothered either, mm-hmm. um, although Hughes didn't really look. I mean, obviously, the benefit of um, having had the uh, corporate hospitality at Fulham on on Saturday was that I was ba- I was literally sat two rows behind the Saints dugout. Yeah. Um, so I got got quite a good view of of how the sort of mechanics of that relationship w- was working. And basically, Mark Bowen was the one stood up, kind of occasionally barking instructions, although couldn't really work out what he was trying to achieve with them mm. um mark hughes was just sat there idly he'd occasionally get up and have a pop at, at the fourth official <laughs> and other than that it was like 
what are you actually what are you actually doing here? And, says and, a lot, and really, that, doesn't it? that comes across completely in both the team selection and um, the strategy that we're trying. Assuming there is some sort of strategy that going on there, and it's just infuriating. Yeah. Before we come on to talk about Hughes specifically, then Adam, a couple of positives. Um, Pierre Emil Hoiberg made captain in uh, Ryan Bertrand's absence. Um, nice to probably have a captain that can be asked on the pitch, but uh, particularly from his personal point of view. A nice accolade for Pierre, who's um, you know worked hard this season. I think many fans felt it was nice to see him given the armband. Yeah, I thought when I heard the news, I thought you'd be happy. <laughs> I thought, oh, be, <laughs> better, be, better be smiling away. No, I, was, um, I was. Yeah, no, it's it's nice reward, and I think it's um, for, you know, for negative things that Hughes has done, it's a good recognition in a way. It's good he's got a player in there. He's seen something in the training on the training ground with Hoiberg that most other managers haven't seen or haven't wanted to persist with him um, for any period of time. Hughes has actually recognised something in him that, uh, you know, so I, I, that a lot of people have seen, you included, have talked about him for a long time. Um, and he's got him in the team. He's got good performances out of him. And then as a show of, well, if you do that, this is your reward. He's now captain. And that's that is actually a good piece of management for me. Yeah, because it would have been easy, wouldn't it, Steve, to give it to someone like Yoshida or someone, a, a more experienced player. But I think it's it's someone, and I'm sure the club are aware of the, the sort of interest and the passion that's been there from fans around Hoiberg. And it's someone that, even though he's quite young, you, you know that he will give 100%. And as a as a fan, that's what you want from your, your captain to set the example, which, to, you know, I, I'll be honest, I don't think Ryan Bertrand's done for a long time. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a bit of a bit of sort of PR puffery around that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it was probably a just a, a pure toss-up between um, between Hoiberg and, and Yoshida. They're both probably suitable candidates in in their own different ways. I mean, Yoshida's not a not one who's going to sort of rant and rave at people, but he's he's got a sort of ca- kind of calm authority about him, I think, yeah. and obviously plenty of experience. Hoiberg, I think, is a little bit more of the sort of tub thumping. Um, get into them, lads. Uh, Sunday league style <laughs> captain, yeah. um, which I think ult- ultimately, if you're if you're trying to trying to keep a fan base on side, I think it's probably going to go down quite well. Usually, you mentioned Nathan Redmond earlier, but uh, the other sort of standout player for Saints, yeah, he had a really good international break with Scotland, leading them to promotion, as we said. Stuart Armstrong, nice to see him get his first couple of goals for Saints and a, a bright performance throughout. Well, yeah, um, well, it's about time he was actually given an opportunity, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, the the treatment of ve- like all the players that we signed in the summer has just been odd. Mm. Um, the fact that Vestergaard had one bad game and hasn't been seen since. Um, El Yanusi has has visibly struggled. Mm. Um, so I think his position as a as a backup player is is fine. I, th- I think that's that's okay. But Armstrong was the weird one because obviously he he looked looked good in preseason mm. um, and then started the first game against Burnley played well for an hour, um, got injured, and then barely started any game since. And it's just been just been strange. And I, I do wonder whether just that time away with Scotland, where obviously they've had they've had a couple of very good results, yep. um, allied with excellent performances. So I watched their game in in uh, Albania, and he, and he was he was superb for for the 65, 70 minutes or so that he played. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder whether kind of getting out of the sort of negative environment and going into one where there's there's a little bit more hope um mm. even even though it's only for a couple of weeks or so it's kind of just given him given him a little bit little bit of a sort of new impetus and hopefully might might start seeing um 
seeing that on a bit more of a regular basis. Yeah, we've spoken a lot, Adam, haven't we, the, the last 12, 18 months on the pod about more of our midfielders scoring goals. You know, we sign him as an attacking midfielder. He's going to get goals, I think, if you if you play him. So, you know, whilst the, the team are struggling, it's going to be good for his personal confidence to have now got off and running. When he signed, I suggested maybe he, he, he was kind of signed as a long-term Stephen Davis replacement. And nice to see him in that position where I, I think that Stephen Davis had his best Saints years mm. for me. Um, even though, you know, I know he was maligned at times for not being the you know, the messy number 10 that people would love to dream of having in their team. But, you know, actually did a great job for Saints in, in for a few years in that role. And it looked to me like that's the natural position for Armstrong. And on this evidence, he might have a bit more about him in front of goal than Stephen Davis has as well. So, yeah, great, great to see him uh, given a chance and taking it. And long may it continue. Moving on to talk about the manager then, um, as Steve alluded to earlier, and I've, I've heard from a few people that I think uh, only four or five of the players could be bothered to go over and clap the fans at the end, which I know is always difficult when you lose a game, but we, we keep getting these interviews about how much the fans mean to the club and all that sort of thing that you think they might uh, come over and actually uh, show some uh, gratitude. But likewise, Mark Hughes headed straight for the tunnel. You can probably, again, understand his frustration. I think there was rumours, and Steve, you'd probably be able to, to say better than many, that some of the Saints fans were singing, you're getting sacked in the morning and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's all getting a little bit sour, Adam. I know that everyone's been frustrated and on edge but it's now starting to get a little bit a bit like Pellegrino at Fulham last year when they were chanting you don't know what you're doing with some of his subs Hughes has been saying Adam hasn't he you know that it's it's all very predictable and that sort of thing but there's going to come a time now where it crosses that line and everyone just starts getting on everyone's uh, cases I think so and I, I I sense that time is nearing um the the I my my sense and you guys are better place for this than I am but is that there is still a split in the fan base there and that is that nobody is happy with the current situation, but there is a split between those who think that uh, the manager has a, a large hand in this and, and should basically go uh, because of it, and, and a split in the fan base between those who accept the results are not good, but, but say, um, as I do, there are many extenuating factors here mm. in play, and do we really want to go through another managerial change given the upheaval that will cause and, and all the other problems. I think there are a number of factors in play here for Saints, actually, uh, that make this um, perhaps a more difficult decision than uh, people might might foresee it from the outside. I think one of the significant things here um, as well is, well, one is a desire not to have to sack another manager. And pay them. Um, well, I was going to come to that in a moment, but it's not to sack another manager and then have to go through this recruitment process because mm-hmm. Saints are in a difficult position now, having got rid of Les Reed and Martin Hunter. Um, probably good moves, in my opinion. I think the right thing to do uh, to freshen things up behind the scenes. But obviously, they are they have got committed to this this process as Ralph chairs his satellite group or whatever into working out what the long-term future holds which is only right and proper but in the interim period you you know you're there there does appear to be a void on the footballing side as to who is going to make those decisions now Ralph has said 
he will make them if they're required. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because a lot of people say, well, what qualifies him to make it? Well, you know, look at look at football, look at look at anything in the business world. What qualifies most people who make decisions to make decisions? Well, it's just the fact that they are in the job that they're in. Mm. Well, people might go, well, I don't have any faith in him. Well, OK, that's that's for individuals to make the decision. But I'm not too worried about him having to do that. But there is a bit of a, a power vacuum there in terms of, doing you know getting rid of and then recruiting somebody new and i think that he'll rely very heavily on advice from people he knows uh, and trusts in the game um that he's got to meet i mean it's not exactly a huge secret that he's obviously good friends with matthew letizier um as well and i'm sure that that he'll be speaking to matt assuming that is happening at least that's some comfort we can take because we do know matt obviously has always has the best interest of the club at heart um so that, that's one aspect there Two is, if you get rid of Mark Hughes, again, it's all right to say get rid of the manager, but then what? You've got the then what question. There's not a lot of great managers, I would suggest, out there at the moment. Do you just want to appoint another firefighter for the rest of this season and go down the kind of route they ended up with with Hughes? And then potentially, what do you do after that? Or do you just get in a, somebody to try and keep you up? And then, But then who are you going to get that's better than Mark Hughes at this point in time, realistically? Saints... I, I know. Well, <laughs> this is this is not an attractive job now to to a great many managers. This is a job that's good for somebody who might want to use it as a stepping stone, or somebody who's just desperate for a job in the Premier League. That, that's the reality. Nobody nobody in the middle of the season wants to come to a club that's in the bottom three and clearly struggling. Admitted already, there's no more money to spend. It's not it's I mean, not I a good job. And then, yeah. sorry, I was going to say just to finish off on the financial note, which you mentioned. I think that is more significant than people give it credit for. Mm. They they binned off about ten million quid ish in that kind of in that kind of range to get rid of Claude. They did the same again with Pellegrino. They've given Hughes and his staff a three year contract, which they are what four months into, five mm. months into, whatever it is. That's going to probably cost them another ten mil. I'm not convinced they've got the money to do it anyway. If they wanted to, because. That we're already saying, basically, Ralph, when I did the interview with him, was basically saying, well, look, kind of, we're not planning to spend in January. We might be able to kind of rustle something up if we really need it, but it's not, you know, obviously they weren't talking significant sums of money. Well, would you rather change the manager or would you rather get another player? Because, I mean, there might, there might not even be the money to, to, to change out the manager. They've got so long left on their contracts that they might not even be able to currently do it. Uh, anyway and if they do well that's goodbye to any further signings in january i would imagine any hope of getting anybody else and so all these factors have to come into play when you when you make a big call like that i think a lot of that makes very very interesting and worrying sense steve what's your thoughts on all that i mean yeah hard I mean, to argue with some of it the logic is is entirely sound i mean the Literally, just look look at my uh, laptop screen now. Jeremy Wilson, who obviously we we all know mm. of the uh, Daily Telegraph, has put an article out this evening saying Saints will give Mark Hughes the time to reverse the club's fortunes. Mm. It's like, well, where is that time? You, you kind of it feels like wasted fixtures to me. It yeah. feels like we're just going to waste another till the end of the year, as Adam says, and then in January they'll decide. Right, he's had 21 games. where, as Adam said, could well be bottom of the league by then. Fine, it's definitely time to change it now. But it does just feel like we're going to waste a load of fixtures now, because I, I yeah. can't see results turning around under him personally. Yeah, I find that very difficult difficult to believe because um, Hughes's thing throughout his managerial career has been that he's always started quite well in jobs, and then it's and then it's 
kind of faded quite quickly and quite badly. Um, and we're, we're kind of already in that, that period now. Mm. This kind of comes back to the, I kind of almost call it a bit of laziness in the summer. Mm. Um, because you've, you've got the guy already in, in situ. Um, he wants the job. It means you don't have to go out and find and do any proper recruitment and do a proper search. Just get it done. He's, he's already there. Draft the contract and get it signed. And that, and that's, that's what they've done as opposed to, everything that the club has kind of stood for over the last decade mm. in that everything has been meticulously planned down to the finite detail. And it's been done a fair period in advance. Most of the time and there's been, been a few bits and pieces where we've had to be a little bit reactionary, but more often than not, we're like, we're prepared for a variety of scenarios. And this football club is not prepared for the situation we're in now. Um, Adam, look, I, I know as um, Steve just mentioned there, the Telegraph have reported tonight that uh, Mark Hughes is likely to stay on. So this is a purely hypothetical question. I know your views about Hughes in general. I know your views about the club in general. But where we are right now, Adam, based on the fixtures that are to come, what positions Saints find themselves in the Premier League, how long would you give it if results don't turn around? Would you give him another two games till the end of the year? You're putting you on the spot a little bit. Well, that really is putting me on the spot. Events do overtake in football, and I appreciate that that's the case. But all I can say is that I would not be pulling the trigger right now. To me, the I, I know people say, well, the, the fear of uncertainty isn't a reason not to do anything generally in life. But I think there are so many uh, potential negatives with with doing it. I, I think I would stick with it. And I, I think the problem is that that the club have have really hemmed themselves into such a corner with this mm. that it doesn't feel to me that they are in a they are the ones unlike normally with the football club that are in a position of strength to really make a a positive decision they're kind of almost I, I i sense that maybe they're just sort of waiting not really knowing just hoping we did see a bit of that last year really with pellegrino didn't we where mm. kind of they hung on and hung on and and, you know, we all remember the famous uh, relegation season where obviously we, they did chop and change managers. But um, but they kind of had this period where, yeah, by the time that Harry eventually came, kind of all the winnable matches or the, or the ones that you thought they had a real good chance where they played all those teams at home have been and gone. And this mm. season's fixture, this is already looking a little bit like that. So do you stick? Do you twist? Where do you go? I think the problem just all comes back to the fact that I am struggling to see any proper long-term vision for the football club. And I've spoken about it you know, for, for a long time. And I, I still, I don't think it's there. They've now kind of almost admitted that on the football side, that's the case. Cause obviously they're going through this, haven't got rid of Les Reed and Martin Hunter going through this process of reviewing what they want to do on the football side, but of course doing it in the middle of a season and the middle of the season that's going particularly badly. Hmm. Um, so where is the, the long-term planning, the long-term future? And that's the problem with the changing of the manager as well. I don't personally want to see them just go, right, we chop out Mark Hughes and we bring in Sam Allardyce or Oof, Gary Monk God. or something like that. You've got, to, you've got to make, if you're going to get rid of him, you have to be sure that you can get rid of him and then go and make a really good, what you hope will be a really good long-term appointment this time and somebody really is going to fit that mold and if you can't do that then i guess i think you just got to stick with it because there's no other alternatives there's no as if there's any viable alternative within the football club or immediately around the football club you're you've 
you you stick with him and you know it's 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 difficult because obviously it's a results business results are going badly um but uh, you know there there is still enough in there they are playing well enough to it's not as if they're turning up and getting smashed every week there's still enough in there to suggest that they are improving under Hughes. It's just that he somehow needs to try and find the results. So I'm not sure that really answers the question because I don't, I, uh, the honest answer is I don't actually have an answer to that. And I, I don't think Saints do either. Mm, okay. Um, Richard Jolly, um, journalist, popped out a tweet last night. He's uh, not a fan of Mark Hughes from what I understand. I think you know him, Adam, is that right? I do know Richard. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. He's, he's not a Mark Hughes fan, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he put he put a tweet out last night. As everyone will know, that's now three Premier League wins in 21 games for Mark Hughes. So he has a 14% win rate in the Premier League as Southampton manager, which puts him level with Les Reed at Charlton and level with Laurie Sanchez when he was at Fulham. It puts him 1% above A.D. Boothroyd at Watford, Mark McGee at Leicester, Alan Shearer at Newcastle and Tony Adams at Portsmouth and 2% above John Gorman at Swindon. In case you're wondering, that's the list of pretty much the worst Premier League managers ever. Um... We put out a poll this morning on the Twitter site. I appreciate it's easy to put a poll out when they've lost and everyone's emotions are high, but uh, the question was, after the Fulham result, should Mark Hughes now be sacked? We had near on 400 votes, 89% of them, Adam, saying that they feel Mark Hughes should go now. Some of the replacements that we had in, because, again, we did ask if people were voting yes to try and give a name, because it's easy to say get rid of Mark Hughes, but who are we going to get in, as you've mentioned? Um, Saints World, Richard Geddes, Padders, Saint Anon, Stuart Vahid, Tom Morris and Stevie Moondust, I, I really hope that's Stevie's surname, um, all suggested Brendan Rogers, Andrew Davis, Andrew Leakey, Stephen Sneller, Alex Crawford, Joel McGowan, Matthew Mitchell all suggested Gary Monk, um, although Richard Brereton, who's been on the pod before, said anyone but Gary Monk. And the last one that I just wanted to talk about, Leonardo Jardim, um, St. Mike, Westy, Mark Hopkins, Gary Sturgis all agreed that uh, whilst he was probably an unlikely target, he's someone that's currently available. I believe, Adam, that he was one of the people that turned down the Fulham job, I think, alongside Arsene Wenger before they, they took Ranieri on. So, Brendan Rodgers, Gary Monk, Leonardo Jardim, you've already mentioned Gary Monk, but are either of the other two really likely targets in the current environment? Who knows, really? I mean, I, my, my personal thing is I, I, I don't like... Um, I mean, this is going to be very boring, but I, I've always taken the policy that I personally don't like speculating, as I know fans do, but I don't like speculating about... A, a potential replacement while there's still a manager there i don't i don't from my point of view i don't think that's a very professional very diplomatic uh, fair enough very yeah. Th- yeah. professional thing to do um right. I, I and i've always I taken the view you can ask steve <laughs> yeah but um i've always taken the point of view that you should you know support the the manager for for really as long as is feasibly possible and uh and and the change is 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 sometimes necessary, but in football is is often not a good thing compared to stability and continuity. And so, I would not do Mark Hughes the disrespect of speculating on on that um, on a replacement while he's still in a job. Personally, bearing in mind you're off to see him this week, I can completely understand that. So, Steve, before we come to you, a few of the other names: uh, Mark Bielsa at Saints FC podcast, the Wire six six six, Stephen Gerrard. Peter Boz, Kike Senchez Flores, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, Lampard, Eddie Howe, David Wagner, Chris Wilder, um, Roger Schmidt, Jankovic, Sam Allardyce, although then someone else said they didn't want Sam Allardyce, Clarence Seedorf, Mikhail Arteta. Um, before we talk about Raddy Jaidi, that, that was a list of names that everyone came up with. Um, again, some of them are quite fantasy, I think, but uh, you know, it does show that there is a list of managers out there if someone's looking at them. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and as, as you say, some are some are more realistic than others. Um, I mean, Julian Nagelsmann's one that um, he was linked last summer, I think, wasn't he? He was, he was, yeah, which is which he's... is very which is very strange because it's it seems to be commonly accepted that he's basically already um, signed up to be Bayern manager in two years' time. Mm. Um, so if that if that's even remotely true, then that's just a non-starter. Mm. Um, I mean, I'll I'll state this for the record now that if Sam Allardyce gets the job, I will not be going to a game. While <laughs> yeah, I think there'll be a few of us not doing that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, just that, just yeah, I just won't be going. I think I'd um, rather have Mary the tea lady. Yeah, I I think I'd rather stick rusty pins through my eye. <laughs> 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 uh, and have to put up with that. Yeah, um, yeah. I sat through sat through what sat through his one England game in uh, in Trnava in Slovakia, and it was god awful. Yeah, I'm trying to think. He scored the winner. I'm not sure. I want to talk about that person, but uh, well, his his career has pretty much died on yeah. his ass. What, so it's, what, it's whatever happened to that lad? Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, closer to home. A few people have sort of suggested, and again, I know um, it's easy when you're managing the under 23s, but he's lost a lot of talent. I think uh, gone out on loan. You think of the likes of Jake Hesketh. Adam, I feel this question is unfair to ask you. So coming to you, Steve, as a stopgap, many people have sort of suggested if we are going to get rid of Mark Hughes, but they are using the, in inverted commas, excuse that they're trying to find a director of football, why not give Raddy Jadia the chance to sort of step up and uh, act as a sort of a bit of a caretaker manager while they go through that process? He would be the sort of man in, man in situ, I guess, wouldn't he? But I don't know. I mean, I've, I've not seen a massive amount of the, of the under-23s because um, I mean, as as you as you say, all the all the kind of known known players around that around that age group have been farmed out on loan mm. um, in order for them to be playing proper competitive football. So I don't I don't know how much stock you can you can really take from how Jaidi's performed with the under 23s when mm. it is glorified friendlies, really. Yeah. For for want of a, for want of a better description, because they. I mean, there's there's kind of, there seems to kind of be no real rule about eligibility for that um, for that competition. There's been um, like obviously the the 23s play in the Checker Trade Trophy as well and mm. um, did particularly badly this year. There were loads of examples in the first season with when the under 23 teams were playing in that competition where senior players who were just um, not in favour in the in the first team squad were being thrown into these games with with a handful of other kids. Mm. And I think Norwich played at Peterborough and they won six nil and all the goals were scored by players over the age of 29 or something yeah. like that. And how, how can you, how can you take that sort of football seriously? Mm. We don't know whether Raddy Jaidi is a good manager or not. I mean, yeah. obviously he's got uh, qualifications. He's got um, a fair amount of pedigrees. Obviously got what best part of hundred caps for, uh, for Tunisia and has played for, played for decent sides. Not nobody, massive obviously but he's got a he's got a bit of a pedigree in the game but i think the premier league is a very difficult a difficult place to be for a rookie mm. and that is essentially what he would be i mean sure he may sort of flourish in in that environment you you never know until you give someone the opportunity but given what is at stake on purely on a financial basis i don't think the club is in a position to take that sort of risk clearly any appointment is going to be a risk but I think you would be looking for someone who has proven themselves as a manager in another country, probably, mm. or maybe even um, another league in England. So championship, maybe even go down League One if you can find someone who's who's got specific characteristics that 
um, that we're looking for. But the problem is I don't know what characteristics we are looking for now because we just chop and change. We've now gone and taken the approach that basically every other um, lower mid table side takes when they when they get into a bit of trouble, they go for one of the um, the sort of known faces. So yeah, I mean you you fully expect that if and when Hughes does get the boot, first first name on the um, bookies favourites will be Sam Allardyce, mm. which is stupid because that would be that would be a horrible decision. But that's the way it's going to go. We are basically no different to any other club now. For all this Southampton way. And um, this is how we do things, and we do, we do things the right way, and, and all, all this all this PR guff. Mm. Um, we are exactly the same as every other club now. Okay, enough of that. Let's try and cheer everyone up now. We're going to do our total recall in partnership with SaintsArchive.com. Bobby Stokes. Right, it's time for this week's Total Recall, with both Will Dorr and Leon Burton from Saints Archive having joined us. We put out our first vote earlier this week, so you could choose the yesteryear game we should recall. The two options were the 3-2 win over Arsenal in November 2002, or the 3-1 win over Manchester United at the Dal in April 96. Twitter was a dead heat, with you both voting 50% each, but thankfully Facebook saved the need for a penalty shootout. 67% of the votes on there were for the 3-1 grey day for Manchester United. Will, how's your memory of the Manchester United 96 game? You ready to go? Uh, yeah, well, it's actually, I've got a really good story uh, about that day. That particular day, 13th of April 96, was actually my 15th birthday. My dad had a friend down who uh, served with him in the RAF, and uh, he was a big United fan. He'd come on down. There's a lot of gloating, but you also want to try and talk me into becoming a Manchester United supporter. Right. And um, I don't know if you guys remember, there used to be a shop in Pound Tree Road. Uh, so, um, it was a Man United store, literally, above a card shop. He popped in there, bought me the grey United shirt, tempting me to take him over to the dark side, shall I say. <laughs> Anyways, I didn't wear it, made some excuse. And um, so we were listening on the radio for this particular match. But as the game went on, on uh, my dad's friend, if anything, turned the colour of the shirt as after the first half. And um, it's been pretty safe to say, I decided Saints was definitely the team for me. Yeah. And um, the grey shirt, I couldn't really sell it or even give it away. So, um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I think it may have ended up in the bin. <laughs> oh, well, that's good, good to hear. Well, um, I, I was thinking we could probably do the uh, 2002 Arsenal game next time around to talk about Delgado's goal and Anti Niemi's triple save and that sort of thing. But uh, for now, we'll focus on April 96 and the important win against United. The Saints lineup that day was Besson, Dodd, Benali, Moncow, Alan Nielsen, Barry Venison, Simon Charlton, Neil Heaney, Jim Magilton, Matt Letizier and Neil Shipley. As for the United side, Leon, that was simply packed with quality, eh? It was fantastic. Look at the team sheet. In goal, Peter Smichael. Back four, Gary Neville, Dennis Irwin, Steve Bruce and Lee Sharp. Midfielder, Nicky Butt, Roy Keane, Eric Cantona. And the forward line of David Beckham, Andrew Cole and Ryan Giggs. Just substitutes that day and they were only allowed two in those days as Paul Scholes and David May. That still gives me shivers even now Steve thinking about that side that was pretty decent eh? Yeah they were pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's just baffling to think that 
as recent as that, I mean, what was that, 20, 22 years ago, that you only had two subs. Yeah. I mean, if you think United back then still had a huge squad, mm. so that's a lot of players not even getting on the bench nah. back in those days. Extraordinary. I saw we had Tommy Widrington and Mark Walters as our subs, and Dave Merrington didn't make any. Yeah, living the dream. There's a, there's, <laughs> there's a reason for that. Well, yeah. I, I actually remember, and it's a totally different story. I remember going to QPR away earlier that season. We got stuffed 3-0, and halfway through the second half, everyone was chanting that they wanted Mark Walters on, so blimey, those were the days. But uh, there we go. Anyway, 15,262 squeezed themselves into the Dow, pretty much full capacity. And the referee, we uh, we mentioned it was Jeff Winter last time around. This time it was the slick-haired and rather arrogant Graham Pohl. United arrived having gone 12 Premier League games unbeaten, winning 10 of those. Saints, meanwhile, had lost 7 of their last 9 Premier League games. So there really only looked to be one result from the game, but I guess that's why we love football, eh? 11 minutes passed, and after a bright start in the glorious South Coast April sunshine, Saints won a free kick over in the shade of the rickety old West Stand. Commentary courtesy of John Motson. And the free kick will give Moncow the chance to uh, come forward again for Saints. In fact, uh, Benal is up there this time as well. Yes, this time he gets it. The big Dutchman has put Southampton in front. 11 minutes gone. And for Matthew Letizia's free kick, Schmeichel unable to stop the... Well, he stopped the first effort, couldn't gather it, and he was in no position to prevent Moncal stealing in on the rebound. Will, Saints played Chelsea 750,000 for Ken Moncow in 92. He went on to play 200 games for us, scoring 10 goals, including that one. What do you remember of the goal and uh, of him as a Saints player? I'm glad we moved on to Ken Moncow. He recently followed um, the archive on Twitter, so I'm still trying to talk him into joining us uh, <laughs> from the group. Yeah, great player. You know, he may have not set the world on fire as a defender, but uh, the goal itself was against, if anything, one of the world's best goalkeepers of the time. Letiz putting a free kick straight up to the head of Moncow, who where Schmeichel initially saved it, but he palmed it straight back to Moncow just for him to smash it back in, make it 1-0. It was just brilliant. Lovely, the sunshine. I think, having seen some of the social media side of Ken and what he gets up to, he's still got a big passion for Southampton Football Club. Uh, it's nice to see that quite a few of his posts on Twitter are Saints-related, so um, brilliant player. So Saints have their tails up, United are struggling to get going, and unlike these days, we actually managed to uh, capitalise on that and strike again. Need the second goal, this is Magilton to Nielsen, and they might get it with Schiffley! It's 2-0 Southampton. Would you believe this? Jim Magilton to Alan Nielsen, the cross... Pulled back to the near post, but didn't he take it well? Similar to Moncal then, Steve, Shipley arrived from Chelsea, a then club record of 1.25 million, but he only stayed for about 18 months, which I actually was surprised when I was doing my research for this. He didn't really fit in under Graham Souness. 12 goals and 66 games, not a bad return, I guess. Yeah, I mean, back then we didn't score many, and most of the goals came through Matt Letizia. So, yeah, anybody getting a sort of one in five ratio, I think, was was not doing too badly, really. He was decent enough. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of came and went, really, didn't he? It was just one of those players who fitted into fitted into Merrington's way of playing, but obviously Graham Sooners had other ideas. And, I mean, to be fair, I think Egginos' dad proved to be an upgrade. Yeah. Um, Shipley did all right. We didn't make too much of a loss on him, I think. 
think he went from a million to um to Crystal Palace. That's right. Um, did okay for them. He's he's from the area, so I, th- I think Palace are his team. I so think are, um, yeah. Yeah. I think everyone did all right out of that deal in the end. Yeah, and uh, a tidy little near post finish there. Yeah, I mean, nice little cross, and he, he just just ghosted in ahead of the centre back and um, flicked it in the near post. I think Schmeichel being the sort of ultra professional and he'd be hypercritical of him of his own performance there. I think he'll he'll feel he should have got a little bit more on it. But yes, snuck in the near post and. Archers goes mental. <laughs> he didn't have a particularly good first half, Schmeichel, did he? But uh, the game then heads towards half-time. Saints have uh, also hit the post via Letizier before Neil Shipley picks up the ball out on the right-hand side in front of the away fans. Shipley's pulled onto that side. Letizier in the centre. Heaney is also. It's Shipley. Schmeichel's missed that. Letizier, surely! This is amazing. It's 3-0. Shipley did well to pull wide and get the cross in, but that should have really been the keepers. He came out and presented it really to Matt Letizia, and he wouldn't miss from there. And it's his first goal in open play in the Premiership this season. A noteworthy moment for Letizia in Southampton. I can actually remember that goal quite well myself. I was at the game and uh, I was out under the west stand, so whenever the ball went about 10 foot in the uh, the air, you couldn't see it. But uh, I do, I can almost vision it now of sort of Schmeichel coming out, trying to catch it one-handed, dropping it, Letizia flicking it up over him, Leon, and uh, firing it in off the far post. I mean, 3-0, dreamland really, isn't it? Yeah, it was a brilliant day. I was underneath the east stand um, that afternoon, and I can remember the United team coming out in their grey shirts, and I was thinking, wow, how drab does that look? As John Motson said there then, Will, that was Letizia's first goal from open play that season, so maybe sort of summed up how they'd uh, struggled, really. Yeah, true. And as we all know, uh, Letiz, for many a season, was the catalyst, the talisman, the guy that was getting the goals for the Saints. So when he wasn't firing on full cylinders, we were always going to struggle. But if you're going to score a goal, get back on the winning pathway again, what a goal to do. I mean, I could sit there and watch that all day long. The fact they'd taken on his left foot, Chipping it up onto you know his right side looks up great goal. We could do with a Letiz style player at the moment. Um, <laughs> mm. I know this is the recall section, but yeah, it's just a shame we don't see players of his quality anymore in our team. Absolutely, and a couple of central defenders throwing themselves all over the place as well. But uh, obviously, we won't talk too much about it. But Ryan Giggs scored right at the end after they'd uh, changed their kits. We'll mainly remember it for the game for Saints playing particularly well. Most remember it for the fact, as I just mentioned, that United changed their kit at half-time. So Alex Ferguson blamed the kit, making the players change it pretty much as soon as they came into the change room, and he actually got fined 10 grand by the FA for that decision. Speaking a decade or so later, Lee Sharp, who was, of course, playing that day, wasn't making the same excuses, Leon. <laughs> no, he wasn't, Then I agree. Um, the quote was, I don't think the reason was the, the shirts on the day. I think we were just pretty bad overall, really. Yeah, I assume, as uh, we sort of said from a Saints point of view, Steve, we're not really letting them have the kick excuse, are we? No, they can screw that one. That's ridiculous. Um, no, we were, we were just betting them yeah. on the day. Whether you credit it to us being particularly good or them being particularly awful, I suspect the truth lies somewhere in between. Um, the one thing that does annoy me looking back at this game is how many people confuse this one with the game that then happened six months later where yeah. we beat them 6-3. Yeah. And everyone says, oh, do you remember that time where Man United changed their shirts at half time and Saints beat them 6-3? That's not a thing. And you get all these like all these journalists, many of them would have been at those games. I know, I know. And they and they get it wrong. It's like, God's sake, guys. 
Yeah, and I totally agree with you, and it's frustrating. I think the only thing you can sort of give them is that when they changed them at halftime in the 3-1 game, it was the kit in the second half they were wearing that they were then wearing in the 6-3. That's the only sort of legitimate yeah. reason I can give them, but you're right. It's, well, a it's bit, the same bit lazy. Year, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's right. That, that's right. But yeah, a bit lazy on their part. And I, I was trying to think, Will, I mean, I, I assume there's been quite a few football teams throughout the years that have turned up and their kit man's forgotten the kit and they've had to wear the home team's away kit or something like that. But I don't ever remember too many people changing kits at half-time or even during a game because they couldn't essentially see each other. No, not at all. And look, I know it was back in the day when kits used to last, what, two seasons. So I think going back to what we said earlier about the confusion between this and the 6-3 game, I think because the blue and white kit and the grey kit was still technically being used... Mm to the second season I think that's where maybe the confusion comes into it Yeah, you get the odd occasion where a keeper might turn up he's got the wrong colour shirt on and he has to borrow the opposition's one you do get stuff like that but not an entire team turning up with so was it a waist strip and the third strip mm. they obviously done the homework because looking at the Manchester United um, shirt from the first half they had the what believed to be their away top the grey yep. but they were their home shorts and that's right they were shorts and socks yep. it's only really half an excuse isn't it it's a poor excuse. <laughs> Look, ironically, including that Saints game, United have worn that grey shirt five times that season. They drew one of the games and lost the other four, and uh, it was never seen again after the uh, the Dow defeat. So uh, probably says a lot about what uh, Alex Ferguson and Manchester United thought of that kit. Anyway, moving on to the other manager, Dave Merrington was, of course, Saints manager that season, and he caught up with John Motson after the game. The spectators have been magnificent for a kick-off all season. I mean, they've really got behind the team and got behind me. And I really didn't want a, a half-time, to be honest. We, we pushed on to United. We worked hard, and I thought we retained the ball and passed the ball well. So you're remaining very calm through all this tense uh, period, Dave. Uh, are you really that way underneath it all? I am really. I, to be honest, I've looked at it and I thought, well, I've done all my work during the week. And you get to Saturday and you think, well, I can't see the point of worrying about it now. So it's really up to the lads, and in fairness to them, and I've said it all season, they've been brilliant for me, they've worked hard, technically in training, I couldn't have asked any more of them. And you get to Saturday and you send them out over the white line, and you whip them up, and you just hope you can keep them going. I have to say, Leon, I remember Dave Mountain well. I mean, obviously he's still involved with the club at the moment in terms of Solent, but I always remember him sort of when he came out of the Dell, walking up the touchline to the dugout, and he'd be fist-pumping with his little piece of paper in the hand and trying to get the crowd going and that sort of thing. He's a right character. He shows so much passion, same as his commentary today for Radio Sun. He's a very passionate man. Mm. He had a tough task that season um, when he became manager. Never been a manager before. The only time he's been a manager was when he had two caretaker games at Sunderland and Leeds when yeah. he followed Jimmy Adamson. So this was his first whole season being a manager for the first time. And it was a real tough task, very tough task. And I think, Steve, probably to echo that, is, uh, you know, he maybe wasn't the greatest tactician, he wasn't an Alex Ferguson, but everything that he lacked in tactical ability, he had bundles of passion. Yeah, definitely. Both the positive and negatives there were reflected in the team that showed on the pitch for the majority of that season, in that tactically we didn't look great, but we got through it through a combination of passion, hard work and occasional brilliance from obvious individuals mm. i think something also has to be said about obviously the situation that dave merrington was kind of under towards the back end of that season where his wife was seriously ill that's right that's right and yet he was still front and center getting the team through and and he was he was still the ultimate professional doing his job despite the issues um his wife was was suffering yeah and yeah. i think he deserves a lot more credit than he's often afforded Absolutely. And Will, just sort of to finally finish on Dave, I mean, as Leon there said, he's still very much involved in supporting Adam Blackmore and Radio Solent and great to sort of hear his insight to games for, for people that can't make it to St Mary's. 
Yeah, it's, it's superb. And like echo what Leon said. It, he has got the passion for the club. And he's obviously had a lot of involvement with a lot of the players that have gone on to, to bigger and greater things. I, I enjoy listening to him on the mm. radio. He's, yeah. he's a, certainly a passionate character, lively character, knows his stuff inside out. And you can tell his passion. I mean, I think it was actually the game against Bolton uh, where he went and approached the fans and applauded them. You know, the arm pumping, as you said. And you, you don't get that from many managers, I don't think, nowadays. It's, he managed as if he was also a supporter as well. He kind of understood what we thought and mm. felt. Yeah, He actually won Premiership Manager of the Month that uh, season for April 96, winning three out of his six games, Dave Merrington. United would still go on to win the league, of course, by four points from Newcastle just a couple of weeks after Keegan's. I'd love it if we beat them. Love it. Saints survived just by goal difference, actually, so it shows what a massive three points this was for Dave Merrington and his lads in beating Manchester United. Thanks to Leon, Steve and Will. That's been Total Recall, April 96, Saints 3, United 1. With Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach and Steve Grant. Sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk Saints travel to Leicester this coming week for the fourth round Carabao Cup fixture against ex-Saint Claude Puel. Of course it's uh, rescheduled after the uh, tragic helicopter crash a few weeks ago. At Everton in the last round, Adam, we expected a lineup made of sort of fringe players, but I think Mark Hughes was so annoyed after the game at Wolves that he played uh, a few more of the first team players. So in light of what's happened at Fulham, what do you expect him to do up at um, Leicester? I think probably changes this time um, would be my guess. Uh... I think that it would be worth giving the current problems, uh, having to look at a couple of other players, making sure they're match ready. Mm. And obviously um, the the situation now is that they're going into a huge run of games here, especially if they won uh, this match, then that would be at least two fixtures a week for what, six weeks, I think. Right. Um, with, so with a play midweek and weekend, at least, obviously there's a bit more jammed in over Christmas, but um for for what six weeks so uh, there's a lot of games so i think that you really need to be utilizing your squad here um and and probably protecting some of those players that you feel uh, are going to be important for you in the league matches um the, the obvious obviously the flip side for hughes is that he just love a win however it comes whatever the competition is you just love a win um, and and therefore you think a stronger team in some senses, but I wonder if it might be a good chance to you know as as you mentioned Vestergaard earlier has disappeared, give him a game, give Elianusi a you know a start. Uh, maybe I, I don't know what the fitness of all the strikers will be like. Maybe even give Obafemi a, a, um, an hour from the start. Just mm. to, I'd, de- I'd definitely start him. Yeah, he just quite bright when take... he came on, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the question with him as, as a young player, as a young striker, is is going to be all about composure um, and, and whether um, whether he has that in the longer term or not. Um, but you're only going to find that out by playing games. Um, yeah, I mean, then there's plenty of other solid backup, isn't there? They've got they've got you know some recognisable names that can play. So I would, I, if I was Hughes, I would probably on the side of changes the only thing that, that obviously might uh, might uh, affect that is just the desperate need for a win both both for the team and uh, for him personally but I guess he has to look at the bigger picture and ultimately the Premier League is the most important thing 
Is there anyone you'd be making sure about a game, Steve? Um, well, obviously, Gunn's going to play, you, yep. you would assume. Um, but he looks yeah, decent anyway. He looks more yes, than capable, yeah, yeah, doesn't I'll, he? Yep. Yeah, I've got, got no no problem, no no issue with him at all. Um, I would probably be bringing, uh, as you say, Vestergaard, probably Bednarek if he's fit. I mean, God knows what's happened to him. He's disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, War Prowse needs needs games because he's he's been playing 10 minutes here and there. Obviously, didn't get on at all. We only made two subs. Um, at Fulham, mm. which surprised me. Um, I thought I thought he might have brought War Prowse on for the last, last ten minutes just for his um, mediocre set piece set piece <laughs> speciality. But I kind of take the view that having obviously already seen the draw for the next round, mm. I don't really care about Tuesday. No. It's I mean, and obviously that's kind that kind of goes against my my view of cup competitions in general. I think you should generally be trying to trying to win them. Um and picking a team that will that will win a specific game. It's horses for courses at times. But um with Man City as the um as the opponent if we get through and as Adam rightly said, the obviously you you're now building up into the fixture the Christmas fixture um programme where once again we've been absolutely shafted on on the schedule mm. with all of our Christmas games moved yep. um, because they wanted to put one game on TV. Um, I think realistically the club has to, the club has to take a view of what's, of what's most important. And that is keeping players fresh for that pretty daunting um, run of games. Yeah. And we can't move on to the United Premier League game, Adam. Last time we spoke out, you were crossing off the days on your advent calendar until you went to see Claude. It's uh, Christmas has almost arrived. I mean, I, I imagine you're at Ten Turks, aren't you? Yeah. Claude must stay. It's almost <laughs> here. Yeah. Uh, it yeah, still doesn't I work. Do that still every doesn't time. Work. Yeah. Well, no, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to persist with it yeah. now. It's almost like if I say it enough, it, people might just accept that it, uh, it, it, it just accept it for what it is. Can you go with Pule Tide or something like that? No. That's better. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not even getting paid for this. Wow. <laughs> wow. I know. Um, look, I mean, <laughs> look, I mean there's been a lot of chat I think you know the more the frustrations growing with Pellegrino and Hughes about Pure. We're not going to talk for hours about Pure, but I know you've, you've always been very honest about the way he was treated at Saints. So I think it's, uh, again, someone that we as fans, I don't think, tend to hold too many grudges. We do with people that go to Liverpool. But I think in terms of Claude, it's been nice to see him do well, right? Yeah, oh, I think so. I'm, I'm pleased he's he's doing well. Um, good guy. Nice nice man. Yeah, whatever you say, but you know, I, I guess I have the benefit that I you know, see them more often and get to know them a bit more. But whatever we say about Claude and whatever people think is a manager, he was a really good guy. So, um, yeah, please, please that he's doing well. Um, I still think he actually did a, did a perfectly passable job at Saints. I know you can only take into account the context at the time. Um, but you know, I said at the time, I thought he, he was doing a reasonable job and, um, yeah, and I, I still believe that he did do uh, a good job for Saints. Um, when you see what's come since, um then uh you know and the struggles uh ever since he left then and you know let's be fair with largely the same squad really um only van dyke but um for, for you know in a good season. yeah for half a season um but yeah i mean I, I i think he did he did well especially considering the travails of the europa league that obviously were very difficult to handle as well mm. um at the same time, I do accept that, uh, you know, I know that there is a school of thought among some Saints fans that 
Puel's changing of the formation and style which they played under Kuban was kind of the beginning of this negative mindset that's that's sort of then pervaded ever since. But the one thing I would say under Puel is that their problem was not uh, they were obviously defensively sound. They created a lot of chances. They just couldn't, for love nor money, hardly stick them in the back of the net, could they? But mm. they still got good results. Yeah. Um. You know, still put, finishing eighth and getting to the cup final and should have beaten Man United. Um. And won a cup. Still, still a pretty good season. Yeah. Just briefly then, chaps. Um. I'm not gonna do it towards the prediction table which in case anyone's wondering I've picked up another point on this uh, weekend for again predicting that Saints would lose so Steve's on 5 Adam's on 7 I'm on 10 now so absolutely flying away with it the uh, TSP Mark Lawrence and as everyone's calling me um, what do you reckon then win, lose penalties normal time what do you reckon Steve? Uh, penalties yeah what, um, win or lose? Then... <sighs> I reckon we'll probably win which would be really annoying because um, because then because then we'll get to be absolutely absolutely yeah. schooled by City's reserves in the next round. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Briefly. I'm I'm going with Steve. What went I'm on penalties? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so because the way of Saints the last few years has been to obviously struggle desperately in the big games in the league that they need to win and then win all these cup matches and have cup runs that that ultimately sort of apart from Man United where they got to Wembley but ultimately you know fall and appear fruitless when you know that you've already got to play Man City that's really the ultimate here so Sod's law is that they'll win this having been beaten by Fulham you two are so optimistic you are the yin to my yang <laughs> so I love you too cool right let's move on to Man United before I tell everyone that they're going to lose in normal time um, as has been mentioned by many of the uh, fans over the last couple of weeks um, with Fulham out of the way the fixture list looks pretty grim for Saints up until the end of 2018 now next up at St Mary's is Manchester United Man United Steve they're such a hard team to work out you just don't know if they're going to turn up and be decent or average do you? Yeah, they're they're a strange beast, and I mean, I think I think there's a lot, obviously, because of the size of the club and the news they the sort of column inches that they generate. That obviously there's an awful lot of focus on them. Yeah. Um, but I mean, let's face it, they've they've still got world class players in most positions, not all, but but most of them, and they're still going to be in the top six, even though they're obviously not quite there at the moment. Mm. Um, they will still be a there will still be a very a very difficult test for us. And one I mean one thing that Mourinho has managed to get out of that side is a bit of a backbone. Mm. Um there's been a lot of games this season where they've where they've struggled in first halves of games. Um so I'm thinking like they were two 0 down after about five minutes at home to Newcastle and came back in the second half and and won one three two late on. Yep. And um obviously down at Bournemouth. I mean they Bournemouth should have been five nil up after half an hour. Mm. But United rode their luck and obviously again won it in the 95th minute. And they've just, they've still got that knack of doing what Man United do and find, and just finding a way of getting the results. And I mean, obviously it's, um, stating the bleeding obvious that we've had, we've had better Saints teams in pretty much every season that we've been back up in the Premier League and we've still not managed to beat United at home in mm. any of those games. Um, despite actually most of them, we've probably deserved something out of a lot of them. Yep. But yep. just fine margins as always. People switch off, make individual mistakes, that sort of thing. Maybe a bit of brilliance. Um, missed penalties. Well, yeah, miss, yeah, missed penalties and um, yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. Mm. And... It would be typical of us now to go and um, to go and win it this time when 
I mean, let's face it, nobody's expecting us to get anything. No. And United may have another of their, oh, we're just gonna we're just gonna toss it off days. Um, but you you need to take advantage of them. Um, and they know that they've still got arguably the world's best goalkeeper behind behind their slightly creaky back four. Mm. Um, so even if you do break through, you've still got to beat beat David De Gea at, um, between the posts, um, which is something that we've always struggled with. Mm. So it's it's they're they're still a good side and they're they're not as they're not as bad as people like to make out. Mm. As as funny as it is to watch watch them continually implode in the media. Yeah, and you've had Romelu Lukaku as your fantasy captain all season, Adam. So I'm sure you're looking forward to this game. <laughs> You did tell me he was my captain before, didn't you? I yeah. obviously haven't done anything about addressing that situation. He got he got um, you four points this weekend as your captain as well, so well done. Brilliant. Is that good? Well, he had a no. goal disallowed, didn't he? But yeah, so no. yeah. Uh, that's that's <laughs> that's, li- that's literally points for playing. Oh right, it okay. Is, no, no, Adam, literally it is. Oh okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, so you get not, you get two, you get two good. points if you play more than an hour. Yeah. Oh right. And then obviously as captain you get double points. Yeah. yeah bump good, bump a week good. next weekend though, so you you can look forward to that. Well, I just completely concur with with everything Steve said. Really, um, the United are unpredictable, obviously, but uh, and probably at this exact moment in time, of if you were going to play any of the big six, you probably would prefer to play them than anybody else at the moment. Um, but um, they they've got a squad you know, riddled with quality, with great attacking uh, purpose in in the team, um, and it's just a case of what United turn up on the day and they, they will be uh, hard to contain they, they might be prone to a few errors at the back they might be prone to maybe just not mentally being quite on it mm. that is possible but you know as Steve said you've still got to be in a position to take advantage of that um, and yeah I mean obviously <laughs> what can you say Saints playing at St Mary's it's hard to be too optimistic yeah. given uh, given the run but you know, one part of you says that, and the other part of you feels like, well, wouldn't it be the most, you know, as as, as seasoned Saints watchers as we are, isn't it the most Saints thing to do? Probably. That suddenly it ends in the, in one of these games that nobody would ever expect it yeah. to to end in, and then, yeah, they'll probably have some horror home defeat to somebody you wouldn't expect uh, you know, not long afterwards I had down here Adam tickets continue to sell slowly for St Mary's fans are losing little enthusiasm that they have and they can't win a game on the pitch a year since they've had three points at St Mary's it's not a particularly enjoyable fixture to look at with any optimism so you've just summed that up perfectly but um, the other thing I just briefly wanted to ask you about Adam Jose Mourinho said after the Crystal Palace game that his players lacked heart and desire I guess that could go one of two ways now in that a few of them might get frustrated with him. We, we know he has that reputation for being a bit of a miserable bee. You know, I'm not going to swear because it's uh, Steve's jobs to do that. But, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, or alternatively, it will give them the kick up the backside and they'll come out and uh, give Saints both barrels. Yeah, I think Mourinho uh, thinks carefully about, you know, the way he does these things. His probably his best strength as a manager has been kind of his ability to find ways to motivate um squads of disparate nationalities and and you know celebrity multi-millionaires basically mm. um and yeah basically his his tactics have worked for short periods of time to great success and then have kind of fallen apart um and, and he sort of moved on and, and done the same again and again it seems like he actually wants to put down a bit of a base at united doesn't it it seems to me that maybe with his you know getting a bit older and stuff that he actually just wants to stay in a job for a while and try and 
build something and and you know that's obviously what he's trying to do at united and i i i think he's one of the few managers who can really get away with that kind of behavior um because he is such a big person and a big personality and such a superstar in his own right um that i think the players kind of respect that and and kind of feel that they have to take it on the chin at least for a period of time and certainly if they're not performing uh, it's a bit different when he's tried one or two of these tricks before you know against te- or, you know, with teams that have actually been doing relatively well and the players have obviously you know taken umbrage at it but at united at the moment where the where it's patchy i think he probably thinks it's a calculated gamble worth taking and uh I suspect knowing him, it will irritatingly work. (laughs) Right, let's have some predictions then. Uh, You boys are are renowned now for being positive. So, Steve Grant, coming to you first, what do you reckon? Uh, We'll lose (laughs) 3-1. Good. All right. Lukaku, obviously. (laughs) And and Sanchez, of course, who's done the square root of Jack for them since he joined. I was thinking Anthony Martial likes a goal against us as well, doesn't he? So, uh, good. All right, I assume you're obviously going to be much more positive than that, Adam. I, I'm toying between a couple of predictions, but um, I t- you know what? Shall I be positive? Shall I be? Because you're not going to no, be positive, No, no, I, I think you should just be genuine. Forget this positive. You know, what do you think they will do? I think United will win 1-0. Good. All right, that's much more. I was going to go 0-0 for a moment, you? but yeah. I'll go for 1-0 United. Yeah, good. All right, I had uh, 2-0 Man United, so uh, much along the, the same lines as Steve there, but uh, I don't think we'll score because we don't do that much. At- well, I, th- I think we'll probably take the lead. Yeah. Because that's what we do. I know. Thanks as ever for listening to TSP and also to everyone that voted and commented on our Twitter post in terms of the uh, question around Mark Hughes. I can't reiterate how despondent and frustrated like so many Saints fans are us three feel, but we're trying our best to be constructive and not ranty etc. It is hard though I promise. Um, We'll be back next week to discuss post United. The main question however is whether Mark Hughes will be back next week as well. I think general view is at the moment that he will be don't forget you can find us on patreon www.patreon.com slash total saints pod but from the three of us now cheerio and keep marching in
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl... Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.